from just south of Los Angeles, California. This is the Veggie Power Podcast, exploring topics relating to working out, powerlifting, and everyday advice for lifting and living well. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Contorno. All right, let's veg out. All right, all right. So you all have turned in to learn about the dark side, steroids, gear, doping, whatever the fuck you want to call it. So I'm going to start off by saying, if you want cycle advice, go ahead and shut me off now because it's not what I'm giving. Am I going to talk about if I've done steroids? Yes, I have. Am I going to talk about what I've done in detail? No, I am not. So sorry about your luck there. What I am going to talk about is some common themes in powerlifting, uh, weightlifting in general, and mostly the sport that I participate in, maybe some bodybuilding stuff. I am going to get into a little bit of the female taboo with steroids and hopefully break some of those today and just give you guys some general knowledge and awareness that maybe you didn't have prior to listening to this podcast. Am I advising that you guys all go to the store and buy some needles and start injecting yourself or, you know, searching through the cabinets and taking some pills? Absolutely not. I am here to educate and provide some information that possibly you didn't know was there. I'm also going to answer some of the questions I got on Instagram. A lot of them are quite funny, but quite inappropriate for what I'm willing to talk about. Um, I got probably about 150 questions, actually. I posted my question box about three times, and you all were very, very receptive to it. So a lot of you want to know this information. A lot of females are afraid to talk about it. But guess what? Dr. Ash ain't. So I said I wanted to start my podcast off with some current events in my world or whatever I deem relevant for the day. And I want to talk about Boss of Bosses because when I recorded my first podcast, I was prepping for it. And it has now happened. It has come and passed. And now I'm actually prepping for the San Diego Fit Expo uh, only six weeks later. The reason why I'm doing two competitions is because I thought I was getting invited to Bossa Bosses. So excited. Oh, yeah. Dan Green was like, hell yeah, she's strong enough. And then the invitations came out and your girl didn't get one. And I was fucking sad. I think I even ranted about it on my Instagram and tagged Dan Green, trying to antagonize him to send me a fucking invite. So then I decided I still wanted to compete in the fall, so I signed up for the San Diego Fit Expo, seeing as in I did the LA Fit Expo in January with an amazing result. I was the best lifter. I was like, all right, expo it is. And then two weeks after I signed up, Dan Green invited me to Boss of Bosses, and I was like, holy shit, I guess I'm doing both. So here I am in the middle of both meets, uh, prep again, but... Boss of Bosses, I had my best meet ever. That meet is fucking fun. If you have the opportunity to go to Boss Barbell and watch that meet and just be in that environment and in that crowd and watch those amazing lifters, like to be on the platform with all those people was fucking cool, man. And like everybody was super nice. The meet was ran very well. They had a really organized structure with the warmups in the back and I just had an amazing, enjoyable experience as far as the meet day goes. Um, 
as far as like the technical aspects of actual lifting, there were some things I would have wished that could have gone better. Um, the mono lift was pretty shaky and that kind of messed me up. I um, typically don't, we don't have a mono lift at our gym. So I've squatted out of a mono lift before. It's not a brand new piece of equipment to me by any means, but the fact that it was not stable on the unrack, um, the uprights kind of like swung back and forth. And on my second squat, I had the spotters stabilize it and that really helped me. And then I forgot to tell them to do it on my third. And for the bench, Oh my God, Elite FTS, fuck you and your fucking bench. I actually, Joe Sullivan, if you're listening to this, please update me. Um, I'm having Joe bark in their ear about their bench. So Elite FTS competition bench does not fit a large percentage of short statured women. So much so to the point where we cannot unrack the bar out of the rack. So there is a underground market for these custom J hooks that like attach to the rack and make it lower. And they're super sketchy, super unsafe. And it fucking sucks to have to customize a piece of equipment that should be standardized in an equipment in, in competition. And I first encountered this issue when I competed in the slingshot meet in Sacramento. It was uh, Mark Bell's meet and they used that bench and I got there and I was like, sweet, I don't fit this. So where's your hooks? And they're like, hooks, what are you talking about? We don't have them. And I was like, fuck. So we had to do this like weird ass three man handoff. And I like, it fucking sucked. I mean, I still benched a lot. Your girl won that one too. But it wasn't, it's just totally unsafe. Let's just be honest. And honestly, in a competition where there's standards, uh, it shouldn't have to be where these women are customizing their own pieces of equipment. Like you couldn't walk up to the squat rack and put your own things on it. So I don't understand why they are allowed to use this bench. I totally understand the meaning, you know, the reasoning behind it. It's that that bench is so much more stable than an ER rack when you're at a competition where dudes are benching. I think the biggest bench was like close to a thousand pounds. It was something fucking ridiculous. Um, so I get it. They should have just used an ER rack for the chicks and then brought the elite FTS bench out for the dudes or CC, you know, the heavy benchers, let's be honest. But I missed both of my benches. Uh, I got my opener, which was easy, 264. And uh, my second attempt, the bar got stuck on my hooks and it fucked me up. And then I was gassed. I, I almost was thinking I shouldn't have taken my third attempt just because I knew I felt fatigued. And then that kind of mentally got to me. But that is what it is. Um, so the technical pieces of equipment, you know, you always go into a meet and you have this plan of what you want to do and it never goes that way. So I, I knew before this meet started that I wasn't going to be upset with myself uh, for my total as long as I progressed in the sport. Uh, I first was wanting this certain number in my head that I was like, I'm going to get 1,200 pounds in sleeves. And then like two or three weeks before the meet, I gave it up. And, you know, I ended with 1,124 pounds, which is like a 60-pound PR from my meet in January, which is huge progress in a short amount of time. So overall, it was a great fucking meet. The awards dinner was really cool, and we all found out at the awards dinner that the meet was unsanctioned, which is weird. I still kind of don't understand what's going on there with that, but I'm still counting my total, y'all in my mind, and on open power lifting. So anybody that hates on that can fuck off. 
And that's about my only updates, I guess, for now. Steven's been um, doing talks and walks with me on Mondays. Right now he's laid off and not sure if he's going back into the plumbing trade or if he's trying to branch out and be, uh, you know, his true calling, which is nude male modeling. Um, we're starting the website. If you want to, you know, log on and subscribe, it will mostly be featuring him naked and eating food. Uh, the monthly rate's going to be $12.99 per month. Okay, let's get into the real reason why you guys all tuned in to this podcast today. Steroids. I started this podcast by referencing the fact that I have myself done steroids, and I'm not going to tell you what. I feel like at a certain point, there's a social responsibility to not run around and jibber-jab about these things because right now, and I'm not trying to boast, but people look up to me. I coach athletes, and they see my progression, and they want to do what I'm doing to get strong. And here's my firm belief on steroids, because this was a question that I got asked a lot is when should I do them and things of that nature. I am a firm believer that, you know, there's tested sports and there's untested sports and obviously steroids are illegal. So it is a counterculture and it is taboo, especially if you're female, but I'm of the opinion that an athlete should take their natural strength potential to its full capabilities before even thinking about adding any performance-enhancing drugs because that's what they are. They enhance your performance. And if you have not yourself taken your performance to the level that it can be naturally enhanced to, then you're only cutting yourself short. Um, I broke some natural records before I ever decided I wanted to do any kind of anything. Um, I really took my strength to where I felt like it was its natural potential. I first experimented with some SARMs, and I'll get to my opinions on that later because that was asked a lot as well. And then I got invited to the Kern, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be the only one that steps on this platform that's natty. So let me like do a little side note here for all of you guys listening. And I was of this opinion too. All of your heroes, all of the people you see on Instagram, besides a select and small few that like are the exception to the rule, are on drugs. Like, it's incredible. Like I didn't understand how prevalent and prominent using, we'll call it gear for the rest of the podcast. Gear is in the sport of powerlifting or athletics in general, uh, CrossFit, bodybuilding, powerlifting. Like you could line up 50 people that are all on gear and I would maybe think like two of them were. I just had no idea that you can look like a, a normal person and still be using gear or, you know, you can look like a freak and not be on gear. But I would say more so than not, uh, nine times out of 10, all the people you really think are real strong aren't natty. And you know what? That's okay. It's, it, you know, it's a decision that an individual makes that they want to progress and take their performance to the next level. People bash on women that, you know, drastically dive into the world of drugs and end up having male characteristics. And, you know, if it's intentional, great. If it wasn't intentional, that sucks. But 
that's a choice that they decided to make and that's their choice and their choice alone. So fuck off if you don't like it. Okay, so let me first describe what a steroid is. Steroids are different than anabolic steroids. Steroids are medical use, you know, anti-inflammatory injections and medications given in the medical field. And anabolic steroids are the performance-enhancing drugs that we're talking about here. They are more properly known as anabolic androgenic steroids. They are natural androgens that are like testosterone. All steroids are a derivative of testosterone, which males and females both have, but it is more considered a male hormone, which creates those male characteristics and androgens. So when comparing types of steroids, a lot of people compare the anabolic and or androgenic effects. Androgenic effects is how likely it is for that chemical to turn into free testosterone in your body, which is what produces the amazing effects of gear. For females, that's not what you want. You want the lower androgenic steroids. So wanted to get that out of the way so you guys kind of know the difference of what is what. So I want to start off with some more basics. What do you need to be educated on starting a cycle? For males, guess what? There's a plethora of bro science and some real science information out there on the interwebs. If you just type into the Googles, you could search for days and days. For females, sorry, the biggest sources of information that I found were honestly like personal diaries and journals of female bodybuilders that were tracking their cycles and giving their day-to-day advice and experience on what happened to them. It's very limited in the world of being a female and being on gear to kind of find advice. What is known as the quote-unquote safest drugs for females are in this order, Anavar, Primo, and Winstraw. I'm not going to get into dosing and cycle advice and all of that, but in general, Anavar is the largest and wi- most widely used uh, steroid by females. I want to get into PCT because a lot of people ask that question, and a lot of people ask if a female needs to do a PCT. So what is a PCT? It's a post-cycle treatment, or therapy. It is a combination of drugs that a male needs to take to restart his genitals and reduce rebound side effects after a cycle. Does a female need to take that? No. So honestly, steroids is kind of like a oxymoron in the sense that a female is super lucky that she needs like a minimal teeny microdose of what a male takes to get the same benefits. And she doesn't have to worry about taking anything afterwards to restart her own natural hormones. So what happens when you're on steroids in general, male or female, is your testosterone levels raise. Your estrogen levels also raise because your body wants homeostasis. So with that being said, if you're a dude, you don't want your estrogen raising as high as your testosterone because then you get a lot of negative side effects, such as male titties or gyno. And that is an uncomfortable swelling of the glands underneath your nipples. You can actually lactate and it doesn't feel good if you're a male. There's some males 
bodybuilders who get them surgically removed who have issues. Some males are more prone to getting gyno than others. Your testes stop producing sperm because of the exogenous testosterone that you're giving your body, meaning outside testosterone. Androgenous is inside. So you need to restart that. And if you have a lot of estrogen, your dick stops working and you get like way too emotionally out of control. Not saying that estrogen makes you emotionally out of control, but the combination of high testosterone and high estrogen in a male can. So when a male is taking steroids, he needs to take a combination of other estrogen lowering drugs to combat those additional side effects, which a female does not have to take. So if you are a female, raising your estrogen and testosterone to an equal nature is also a little bit hairy there. Hairy meaning you don't want to get it. So how do you prevent side effects as a female? There isn't a magical drug to combat that, unfortunately. But the best thing that you can do is to don't do a lot of fucking drugs, minimum effective dose. There isn't a schedule out there that describes, you know, for this amount of body weight and this drug, you should take this amount, but start really, really, really fucking small. And if say your dose of something is going to end up being 20 milligrams, start at two and a half for a week, then go to five for a week, then go to 7.5 for a week and so on and so forth. Build yourself in slowly so that you're not introducing a rapid amount of male hormones into your body in a short period of time. So let's talk about SARMs for a second. Everybody wants to know, are they really too good to be true? Are they what they say they are? Can I use them? Should I use them? What will happen if I use them? SARMs stands for Selective Androgen Receptor Modulator. So basically what they are is synthetic drugs that have similar effects to testosterone by binding to modulating receptors. They are definitely still in research, clinical trials, and have not been approved by the FDA in any way for human consumption. They are readily available online, and a lot of times they're marked as legal steroids or steroid alternatives or not for human consumption and for research purposes only. Well, are they safe and legal? Um, really, the safety is still being researched. Honestly, there's not long-term studies that are showing the harm or lack thereof of these, you know, drugs. And also the rate, clarity, purity, and doses of what you're buying online is highly unregulated. So it's really hard to say if what you're buying is pure, is what it says it is, is it just, you know, a placebo or are you actually getting the real thing? So all of that being said, since it's not regulated, it's hard to tell what dose you're actually taking if there was studies that are being done, which there are. The studies that are being done currently are in phase one and phase two of clinical trials. There's very, very limited studies right now in the research world for medical purposes, but eventually, hopefully those trials will continue to keep proving evidence. So what the government wants to see for these to actually pass and get prescribed is two things. They want to see that SARMs will decrease muscle wasting and also improve physical function and strength. Right now, the clinical evidence that is available, there's really only two human trials that have been 
done legally, and they show that muscle wasting was decreased, but physical function has not been improved. Now, mind you, these studies were done with cancer patients. A lot of steroids in general, androgenic steroids, are prescribed to cancer patients to prevent muscle wasting. But for females, the risk-benefit ratio of virilization and negative androgenic side effects sometimes outweighs the benefit of the prescription of the drug. So in this case, SARMs could be a great alternative in the medical community to be able to have those effects without the risk of having the physiologic changes into male characteristics. But the studies, like I said, have not shown the improvement in physical function. With that being said, in these studies, these participants were not performing resistive or weight training activities. The two measures that they were using was increase in step mill, um, stair climb power, and hand grip strength. So those were unchanged, but they also weren't implementing some kind of strength training program or cardiovascular endurance program to increase those. So just by virtue of taking the SARMs, those weren't unchanged. So it's kind of hard to say. In my personal opinion, if something sounds too good to be true, you guys... It usually is. So SARMs are basically advertised on the internet. I know I just went into a lengthy kind of medical explanation, but they're like, these are steroids without being steroids. And it's like, how? Um, like I said, the evidence that's out there is just so limited. There is a lot of evidence done in animal studies, and there's like this big controversy out there about how um, in mice, it created cancer, and it's like one study, and they were given like a bazillion times a dose, <laughs> and it's a little ridiculous. But the risks are kind of un, people don't know. Um, there are risks of using, you know, regular androgenic steroids in general, as far as cardiovascular risks liver risk, um, and uterine risks, both for male and female. I'm not going to get into the pathomechanics or the evidence on that, but those are definitely highly studied causes and effects. And sometimes that's why testosterone replacement therapy is so regulated because of the cardio cardiovascular effects it has on men. Like I said in the beginning, I did try SARMs um, for a very short period of time. I actually stopped probably after a week of taking, I was taking two SARMs and one of them uh, rapidly increased my heart rate into the like 170s at rest. It was not comfortable. I did not like it. And for me, I hope it wasn't a placebo effect, but it happened three times and I decided that it just was not for me. Do I believe that SARMs have a strong potential and future in the medical community for helping things such as cancer, osteoporosis, possibly stress incontinence, um, maybe some other things like muscular dystrophy, anything that's a muscle wasting disorder? Yes. But do I feel that there needs to be more clinical trials proven in the medical community? Yes. In general, with something that's unregulated, you have to trust your source. This goes for SARMs and gear alike. You don't know what you're getting and who you're getting it from because there's like an underground community and way of obtaining these drugs. It's highly scary, especially if you're a female. You could be taking what you think is, you know, 
supplement A and it's really supplement B that can have some detrimental effects on your physiology that can be irreversible. Now, as far as the female hormone trail goes, there is some anecdotal evidence that shows that if you experience negative side effects, such as voice virilization, which is the thickening of your vocal cords, they actually grow, you guys, and it deepens your voice and makes it like manly. Um, If you stop the steroid immediately, the chances of it not happening any further and or reversing are highly likely. I personally have um, spoken with someone whose partner was going through a transition um, to become a female to a male, and she was prescribed testosterone. She was doing it medically, and she was experiencing some of those side effects such as virilization and um, clitoris enlargement and Throughout that process, she actually decided that she wanted to stop. And I'm not sure the time that has went by from her intentional stopping of that to to date, but it um, reversed a little bit. So I'm not sure to the extent of which her voice has changed and gone back, but basically your body wants homeostasis and it will change and adapt to, you know, go back to its natural state. So that kind of leads me into my next discussion of, will you forever be ruined as a female if you take steroids? You can't have kids. Or if you're a dude, your balls just stop and you'll never be able to get your chick pregnant. Well, the answer to that is yes and no. There's two things. There's steroid use and there's steroid abuse. So a lot of people don't just take one type of steroid at a time. They do what's called stacking, where you take more than one because if one is working why not take them all you guys it's it's very common like i said that if you don't know where your source is coming from you actually don't know how much of something you are taking if it's pure if it's real or the correct dosage unless you send it to a lab and get that tested or have a testing kit that's actually accurate you really don't know But there are some gnarly side effects, which I've kind of alluded to throughout this podcast already, but I kind of want to distinctly just lay them out in one little section. As far as SARMs, um, one of the known side effects from S4 is that it can turn you, your eyes a little yellow and make you see yellow. I'm not going to get too into it, but um, it can affect your vision, causing blurry vision, yellow tint, things of that nature. Uh, Your skin, the increase in estrogen and the hormone imbalance can create acne, um, face, shoulders, back, all of that, a little bit more susceptible for males than females. And in females, it can cause increased hair in places that normally aren't, such as facial hair, increased back hair. It can cause a thinning of hair, both in men and women. For women, the growing of the vocal cords or virilization, as aforementioned, and clitoromegaly, the growing and enlarging of a female clitoris, can be another side effect. For males, um, again, the thinning of the hair is a little bit more common in males than females. An increase in your cholesterol levels can also kind of get thrown out of balance because your body is producing more LDL cholesterol and less HDL cholesterol, which is kind of the inverse of what a normal relationship 
is. It can increase your risk of prostate cancer if you're a male, and it can cause liver and kidney damage. Besides those physical issues, it can cause some mood swings, irritability, and depression. Um, there is something that is commonly labeled steroid-induced psychosis, which with uh, severe dieting, caloric deficit, and use of anabolic steroids, um, the brain does some crazy things. So all of these benefits do definitely come with a risk, and that is to be you know, taken wisely in your choice of using anabolic steroids. Now, let's talk about the cool shit. Do they make you stronger? Yes. So there are certain types of anabolic steroids that are prescribed to cancer patients because they do show the effects of physical improvement as well as decrease in muscle wasting when people are in a situation where their bodies could possibly use muscles for energy because they're in a caloric deficit or they have um, a muscle wasting syndrome or they have cancer. So the effects or the negative side effects in in that situation are definitely outweighed by the benefits. So let's talk about how steroids actually make you stronger. How does this shit work? Well, it affects your normal metabolism basically in two ways which result in greater muscle mass. The first one is that the anabolic steroid binds with an androgen receptor and together they increase your production of proteins which your muscle build your body builds in to muscle. And that metabolic cycle is called anabolism, which is why they're called anabolic steroids. There's a more complex system in which the energy is stored and preserved, but basically anabolism is where your body builds muscle. So anabolic steroids. And during that, your bones and your muscles, it begins to replicate and grow so it can strengthen bone density and increase muscle mass. But not all of the androgen receptors cause that reaction. Some androgen receptors actually cause a different reaction and they inhibit a hormone called a glucocorticoid. And what inhibiting glucocorticoids does is it actually speeds up your body's breaking down proteins into energy and amino acids. This whole entire process is called catabolism. It's kind of anabolic, catabolic, they're the yin and the yang of the metabolic cycle. So what happens when you inhibit glucocorticoids? It shortens the catabolic phase. So this means your body can spend less time recovering in between workouts and you can do more with less rest. So you can see the appeal to improve athletic performance. So what is the efficacy of steroids? Do they work? There, I will reference one study here um, showing men who used steroids, anabolic steroids, for 10 weeks gained 2 to 2 point, or two to 5 kilograms of lean body mass, which in the United States is about 5 pounds to 12 pounds of lean body mass. In 10 weeks, they reported a 5 to 20% strength increase, and they gained the most muscle mass in their chest, shoulders, upper arms than in other areas. Why not legs? Were they skipping leg day? No, it's because your legs have more androgen receptors, so it creates an increase, it, the need for an increased stimulus for muscle growth. So stop benching and start squatting 
stop fucking skipping leg day because your legs need more to stimulate the growth. Uh, someone asked, what is the percentage that steroids will increase your strength? That is highly variable between the athlete, their genetic potential, their pre-use strength, their level of training while they're in use, what they're using, how their nutrition. So it's basically like all of the factors of if you weren't taking gear versus you are, how hard you're training, what your genetics are, all of those things play a fact into how much the actual steroid is going to improve your performance. So that's highly variable. Someone else asked if there's a threshold or limit of benefit for taking certain steroids. Again, the research is so limited that it's hard to say if five milligrams of, you know, steroid type A versus 10 milligrams of steroid type B will give you a similar same effect. So, and unfortunately, I have not dug into the research quite enough um, even to explore that. So I just feel that the research is too limited to kind of draw any conclusions from that. So what kinds of steroids are there? Anabolic steroids come in many forms. I'm not going to list them all, but the basic forms are orals, which you take orally like any kind of pill, multivitamin, Advil, Aleve, you know, some gear, pop them, drink them. It digests uh, into your liver. It's combined with methyls that break down in your liver and then is distributed into your bloodstream, which orals... um, can have a hard side effect on your liver from your liver processing all of those methyls. There's injectable steroids, which are tied with esters. Um, Esters are a chemical that helps the hormone bind and then releases in your system over time. There are several different kinds of esters, which all have different half-lives and different breakdowns, which require you to take the drug in different intervals, depending on what kind of ester you have or your desired results. And then there is suspension, which is whether it's suspended in a water, a liquid, um, some kind of alcohol, where it the molecular structure or weight allows it to be suspended and then you take it with an eyedropper or a syringe, an oral syringe um, in your mouth, which in my opinion, those are kind of the least reliable because if heat mixing, any kind of volatile shaking of the liquid can disturb the molecular compound and possibly change the way it's suspended. So you could be getting more or less in each dose. So that's the buyer beware on that. So I think I've talked enough in general. There might be a part two on steroids based on some of the feedback that I get from this, Uh, just about the things I wanted to cover in general with steroids. And now I want to get to the questions. So of the hundred or so questions that I got, I kind of wrote down the ones that I feel are appropriate and best to talk about in this platform. The first one is testosterone replacement therapy, basically legal steroids. In my opinion, yes. So it is an anabolic steroid that is prescribed medically and legal for you to take. Now, with that being said, there are some restrictions for different uh, athletic groups and the military and work kind of just like how weed is 
legal, but it's not, but you can smoke it, but you can't. Um, same thing there goes with testosterone. If you're prescribed testosterone, there's certain athletic divisions, especially at the college level, that it is a banned sus- substance. And I think whether or not you have a prescription, it comes into play with some of those issues. So that's kind of to be explored on a personal basis. If you are in the military, I know CBD is not allowed. So there's a lot of variables that go into that. But in my opinion, yes, it's a prescribed steroid that makes it legal because you have the prescription to take it. And it's definitely at a lower dose than what a normal gear user would most likely take for themselves. And then you have to do a lot of blood tests to ensure that you're not getting too much or too little. What are some of the things that you need to do when coming off and training? So typically, um, most men run gear, basically, if you're, you know, bodybuilder, powerlifter, just about all year round, sometimes whether that's stacking in intervals, and then you're at least just running testosterone, or you just come off of one and go on to another, but females definitely cycle off and don't go back on until they're ready again. Training. Um... Well, it kind of sucks. So what I talked about previously with recovery and your body's ability to recover much faster with much less time and all of that, and you can increase your gains, stops. So you need to be smart and to prevent injury, the little godlike feeling you get when being on gear is gone. So you need to be careful and make sure that your intensity matches your new ability and know that some of the gains are going to go away and that's maybe where the depression comes in, but making sure that you're not pushing your body to the limit that it was able to recover from while you were taking those performance enhancing drugs. Are there any obvious signs that someone is on gear? Well, yes and no. I mean, we've all seen some science experiments, my husband being one of them. Uh, I think if he was able to naturally get the way that he looks, he is an anomaly in the human genetic code. But um, yes, there are some obvious signs. You know, people looking a certain way, they it would be highly unlikely for them to be able to achieve some of those results naturally. Now, for example, like I mentioned in the beginning, you know, before I could line up 50 people that were all on gear and I would maybe think two of them were, uh, it's, it is hard to tell. So like I said, I was flabbergasted when I realized at the elite level of training, just how many athletes are using performance enhancing drugs, whether it's a little bit or a lot. And I was just very surprised because in my opinion, they were people that quote unquote didn't, you know, look like they were on gear per se. So it, it, there is no telltale sign. It is not something that you can just look at someone and be like, oh, they're using steroids for real. Um, Because like I said, for me, it wasn't until it was like a year and a half ago that I start, um, you know, did my first cycle for the Kern. And before that, uh, a lot of times I got asked if I was using anabolic steroids because of how muscular I am. But honestly, genetically, I have a very muscular foundation and I thank my father for that. And uh, I didn't just, you know, the use of performance enhancing drugs definitely increased my muscularity, but it was already there to begin with. So no, you can't just look at someone and know that they're on drugs. You can have your own speculations, but it's like calling someone pregnant and they're not. Like that's embarrassing. Can you plateau when you are on performance-enhancing steroids? I don't know. 
the answer to that question, honestly. Um, the pathomechanics of what a steroid does is, you know, like I said, by binding to those receptors and creating that metabolic pathway for the hormone of testosterone to be produced in your body. I bet there, there isn't research, but I can, you know, come and draw the conclusion that there's some kind of hormone adaptation, just like when you utilize any drug that your body gets used to that compound and you need more of it for the same results. So without certainty, I cannot answer that question, but my common knowledge of how hormones work is that you will need more to produce the same effect over time or possibly cycling off of a compound for a long time so that those receptors become free again and are more readily available to receive the hormone and not burnt out per se. The financial cost of steroids, well, it can be pretty high. Um, it kind of surprises me in the world of bodybuilding versus powerlifting, the financial burden that people are willing to assume uh, bodybuilding being fucking ridiculously greater than powerlifting. Not that I'm making fun of the sport of powerlifting, but there ain't much money in it as far as the athletes, the money you win, the competitions, all of that. It's relatively easier sport with a lower barrier of entry, meaning I can decide tomorrow I want to go do a powerlifting competition. It might cost me 50 to $100 to sign up, and then all my friends and family can go for five bucks a pop and watch me. All I need to do is train in a commercial gym and get a singlet, and that's about it. Uh, bodybuilding, that's another whole issue. Uh, just to watch a bodybuilding show for the NPC, which is the biggest federation, it's a fucking monopoly, y'all. So if you're going to go watch somebody bodybuild, bring your checks, bring your credit cards, and just prepare to be shocked because it's about $100 just to watch someone compete for the day. So that sucks. But um, specifically more so in regards to steroids, I'll get off my tangent. Um, you know, bodybuilders take more of the premium drugs. They take more drugs in general um, throughout a cycle to, you know, enhance their physique in certain and specific ways because when you are bodybuilding, you have to look a certain way if you want to win. Um, but in general, steroids are not cheap. Um, I mean, depending on where your supplier is. Also, you can be like buying it from these like weird Chinese websites and then your shit gets seized and you lose your money or it can all be fake and then you lost your money anyways. But I mean, at minimum, be prepared to spend one to $200 on a cycle. Minimum. Males, typically more because you need more compounds. So minimum. It can be a lot more and depending on how long you want to do it. Meat day aggression. Do you take anything on meat day to be extra aggressive and do you up your, in your consumption leading up to a meat? These are two different questions, but kind of the same. Meat day aggression. I personally do not take anything on meat day. There is several things that people do on meat day to kind of get them more amped up. Um, they, there is um, test no ester and test suspension, I believe, that are, they don't have those kind of esters that are bind to. So as soon as you inject it, boom, it's there and readily available. So it's a huge surge of testosterone into your body, which males and females alike can take that on meat day, as well as halotessin, which is another one of those strong drugs. Um, I personally don't do that. Um, 
amping up for a meet. Yes, uh, the week of a meet, I will increase my dosage and then meet day, I will increase my dosage. Whether it's a placebo effect or not, I still think it has some benefit, um, but I will not do it for several weeks at a time. And just a side note, immediately after a meet, I will taper off. Um, like I recommended, how do you kind of slow the side effects or reduce your, you know, your chances of getting side effects as a female, I would say it is going on very slowly. And I also am a fan of coming off very slowly. So just as you don't want to shock your system as a female by introducing all of these, you know, male derivative hormones, you don't want to do the same in coming off, which can create a huge influx of hormone imbalance to where your testosterone decreases. So you have a large amount of free estrogen which can create those mood swings and things that people, you know, discuss. So I like to taper almost as long as I taper on to taper off, um, cutting it in half weekly so that my body can adjust and accommodate for the changes in hormones over a longer period of time. Rankings in powerlifting. Do taking steroids change them? Um, no, but there is... So the USPA about four years ago came out with a drug tested division versus it was just a fully non-drug tested division. I'm not sure if it was four years ago, so maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But I know when I competed in it, it was fairly new and that was about two years ago. So um, no, it doesn't necessarily like affect your rankings. There's not like a little asterisk by your name. That's like this person does steroids and this person doesn't, but, uh, there definitely is a delineation of those who choose to be drug free and they can compete in that federation that is tested and those who do not. So let me get into drug free versus drug tested. Um, the USAPL just got like a lot of shit about this and just in general, drug tested does not mean drug-free. This was definitely a question that I got about how many people do I feel who are in a drug-free federation still use drugs. Um, I believe it's pretty rampant. I think people want to do what they can to get a competitive edge. And there have been some instances where people have gotten, um, quote unquote, popped for using drugs in a drug-free powerlifting federations. I think it's pretty shitty that, I mean, it's, it's supposed to be drug-free, just, just fucking compete in the drug-tested division. But those people, whether it's an ego thing or whatever, want to, you know, be the best and still claim that they're natty like Mike O'Hearn. And, you know, sometimes you just can't. But whether or not they are drug-free, that's just like you're a shitty person if you're doing that. But in my experience, I don't think it's a foolproof system because so when I competed in bodybuilding and I did uh, natural bodybuilding, I competed in federations where every single person was tested. It was a part of your entry fee before the show. Everybody fucking pisses in a cup, every single person. So at these powerlifting meets, unless they've changed the rules and regulations, they only test a certain percentage of lifters or those with the highest wilks. So it's like you could be a shitty lifter and be on gear and not get tested. Um, just because you're the strongest person or not the strongest person does not mean that you are on steroids. Or it could be that you are on steroids. So it's just like I think that the system in and of itself isn't the most quality when it comes to testing because they don't test everyone. And that's fucked up. 
So the USPA and then the USAPL, the USAPL is a completely drug-free division. I actually did my first meet ever in the USAPL. I'm not sure of how many lifters they test, but to my knowledge, they only test the winners or the top Wilks. Um, and then same thing with the USPA. But the records or rankings in and of themselves are not structured by if you're on steroids or if you're not. There's just the delineation between drug-free records at, or drug-free meets and non-tested meets. And now at a non-tested meet, it is not assumed that every single person there is on steroids. But um, if you are a person who chooses to use steroids, that would be the division that you should compete in as an honest and upstanding powerlifting citizen. So are there steroids that are untraceable? Um, I know this is like a big thing in the Olympics that they're constantly coming out with new and various compounds that are not, will not, you know, glow on the drug test. But to my knowledge, I do not know. The way that people pass drug tests in tested divisions that aren't like the Olympics where they test you at random, where it's just like the day of the meet is um, these drugs have half-lives. And what that means is you put it in your system and X amount of hours later, half of it is gone. And then X amount of hours later, that's in half and that's in half and that's in half. So for example, if you take steroid A in 12 hours, half of it's gone. So maybe by 48 hours, it is completely out of your system. Well, those people just stop taking their drugs like a week before the competition, just to make sure. Um, the orals that you take that are processed by your liver are out of your system much faster than the esters that are processed in injectables. So people evade the drug screens by stopping their usage prior to a competition. But to my knowledge, there's not any like standard drugs that are on the market that are untraceable. Is it necessary to run drugs at a certain point? So I kind of started by saying that my personal feeling is that you should take your natural strength potential to its limit before you do gear. But is there a, you know, a try and true, like, oh, you've hit this number, now it's time to do drugs? No, it's a personal choice. There's some athletes who are perfectly fine with never taking a performance-enhancing drug. And honestly, it has to align with your goals. Like if you're just like a recreational lifter or not planning on competing or just a general gym goer, like using, you know, the risks that are associated with performance enhancing drugs probably won't benefit you in the way of someone who is competing at an elite athlete level who's, you know, trying to go for prize money or really trying to advance themselves in a sport or competition. So no, there's no threshold for when you need to take drugs. It's more of a personal choice. And Honestly, there's a total misconception that like, as soon as you do your first steroid, like, boom, you're just huge and that's it. You're just strong as fuck and you're jacked and all you had to do is just take this little pill or shoot this little shot. I'm sorry to break it to y'all, but steroids don't work unless you work with them. Meaning you're putting in the effort, you're eating properly, you're training hard and you're doing the things that you need to do that you would be doing to grow and make gains without the performance enhancing drugs. What they do is they just enhance that performance. They enhance your ability to recover and create skeletal muscle, but it has to be in the presence of a stimulus to actually create it in the first place. So are drugs cheating? Yes and no. Um, if you took a couch potato and you gave them testosterone every single day for a month, and you took someone who was not on drugs and you had them on a lifting regime, they would probably make more gains than the couch potato on testosterone. 
So sorry to break it to y'all, but everybody that just takes steroids automatically isn't cheating. They still put in the work and there definitely is a genetic component of a natural strength potential that someone already has prior to utilizing the performance enhancing drugs. If it was legal, do you think people would be more honest about their use? Absolutely. Um, like I said, there's a huge taboo in counterculture about if you do drugs, you're a cheater. If you're a female, oh my fucking God, she's doing steroids. I, uh, the other day, had broke it to my mom that I did drugs and... Uh, she, she was just like, Ashley, oh my God. And I'm like, well, it's better than going to McDonald's every single day. Did you know that they give anabolic steroids to the meat that is consumed in the United States? So it's just like, it's the, the taboo nature of it being illegal and uh, compounded with the fact of being a female is just like double duty. And, you know, after thoroughly explaining to her that I analyzed the risk and the benefit and at this point in my powerlifting career that I'm trying to advance and be at this elite level, this is the step that I needed to take and I'm not doing it all year round and I'm doing it at a threshold that I believe is safe and if for some reason I deem that it's not, then okay. And honestly, if I get any negative side effects, whether it's blood pressure or my voice starts to change or something like that, I will address it as it comes and maybe I'll decide that I don't want to do it anymore. But up until then, I feel like I have a higher chance of getting in a car wreck leaving my house than I do having something going wrong while I'm using performance-enhancing drugs. That's my personal opinion. But I do believe that people would definitely be more honest about the use if it was legal, and it would probably be safer uh, overall because then it could be more standardized in its production, regulation, manufacturing, and dosage for the general public. What else do I have in the interwebs? Do people who are on steroids look down to those who are not? Well, I can't speak for everyone, but personally, I don't. And those whom of which I know that are on steroids do not. I believe it's more the other way around where people who are not on steroids look down to those who are as, like I said, quote unquote, cheaters, you know, just taking the easy route, whatever it may be. Um... I feel like people who choose to be on steroids definitely agree that it's a personal choice and decision. Um, maybe there's a little bit of a uh, factor of like, oh, if you only knew how great you would feel if you would be on it. Um, but I, I think that that's very far less common than just people agreeing that it's an individual choice and how you want to progress in your own individual chosen sport. What if you're accused of being on the juice? Well, honestly, I was accused of being on steroids a lot before I got on them, and it's kind of like a compliment, like, you know, because there is the connotation of you take steroids, you're fucking jacked, you're fucking strong, all that shit, so I was like, all right, you think I'm juicing and I ain't, that means I must be doing something right. Um, I would just politely and kindly say, like, you know, thank you for thinking that I am, but I've achieved these results naturally. Uh, currently, I do not walk around and say, all right, I'm on drugs. I mean, I am right now for this platform, for the 16 of you that have tuned in thus far. Um, but if someone personally and discreet, discreetly asks me for my opinion, my advice, or my experience, I definitely will tell them. But like I said, I feel as if there's a social responsibility component for me not to walk around and give advice and say certain things because there really isn't... A, it's not legal, and B, there isn't evidence to back these things. It's all based on anecdotal facts and anecdotal opinions. So uh, 
it, it's kind of a compliment. I'll just put it at that. Should your diet change when you're on or off juice? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're spending all this money to put yourself on a cycle, a performance enhancing regime, and you're not taking the next steps to enhance your performance of other things you can change, like lifestyle factors such as your activity and your diet and your mentality towards training, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're kind of fucking wasting your money. So yes, um, again, being mindful of your blood pressure and your cholesterol levels while you're in cycle. If you have a physician that you're comfortable with telling them that you're on a cycle and then they can get your blood work done, maybe pre, middle, and post your during your cycle to make sure that you're medically stable and healthy, that could also be helpful. There are some doctors out there that are fucking cool about it and realize that well, at least they would rather monitor your health while you're going through this than for you to just be an unhealthy individual because in my opinion, someone who is working towards an athletic goal and enhancing their performance versus, you know, prescribing insulin because, you know, Jojo can't stop eating cakes and his blood sugar is 450 and he just went into a uh, diabetic coma, you know, our, our medical professionals uh, treat diseases and comorbidities with more care than they do about people who are trying to enhance their athletics. Trend. Why is it so popular? Trend bologna sandwiches. Well, if you eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you will look like Steven. What is trend? It is one of the strongest steroid compounds out there. It was originally developed back in the 60s as a means to grow cattle as big as humanly possible. Well, as big as cow possible. Uh, whether or not you knew that, um, it is basically just one of the gnarliest drugs as far as your ability to tolerate uh, weight, your aggression, your muscle growth, all of those things. Just kind of think of it as like testosterone times 10. Um, Stephen and I have a marital agreement that he is only allowed to take Tren when he is in meat prep and T minus six weeks out or less because it is very disruptive to our marriage. Side note, um, being with us, I'm surprised nobody asked this question. So none of y'all, maybe all the steroid users out there fucking broke up with their partners because um, it is very, it can be very, very taxing on a relationship. So if you're going to do drugs, period, and if you want to stay dating, engaged, married, whatever, talk to your significant other about it. Because there is undoubtedly some kind of personality change or characteristic that will start to happen, whether you like it or not. Um, and for me, I feel like I'm a very like type A, organized, kind of aggressive person in that nature where I'm like always trying to get shit done and I want to just, you know, do gooder and be there. And it just enhances those aspects of my personality like tenfold. Like I'm stubborn, but I am like stubborn as fuck in cycle. Like I can never be wrong. Sorry, I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> so, and, you know, compounds like Tren or some other stronger compounds, you know, compound that aggression or behavior or whatever. Now, as soon as you take a drug, are you just like an uncontrollable bitch or just raging out of control? Um, no. 
but it definitely enhances aspects of your personality and characteristics. So if you decide to go on a cycle and you are not going to tell your partner about it, it may cause some friction in your relationship because they will be wondering what the fuck is going on with this person. Um, as far as cycling together, couples that cycle together get divorced. Um, I highly recommend, uh, Stephen and I really try to stagger our competitions so that we are not preparing at the same time, or at least not the same timeline. There may be like a week or two overlap, but we really try to stagger them. So one of us can be sane and one of us can't at the same time. But, you know, really there are some things that you just need to be open and you need to communicate and you might fight just like a normal couple fights. And the biggest thing is to not let that fight spill and bleed and carry over into other aspects of your life and just realize that maybe you need to take things with a grain of salt for the time being and kind of pick up the pieces and move on um, because it is easy to kind of perseverate on things and get a little bit more heated than you normally would if you weren't in a cycle. So having the discussion with your partner, trying to not cycle at the same time as your partner and being open and honest about your usage can definitely make your cycle more successful and it has for us in the past. Natty and serious numbers. Can it happen? Absolutely. So do I believe that there's lifters in the drug-tested federations that are just seriously, naturally strong as fuck? Yes, absolutely. Uh, 100% there's people that have the genetic potential and train hard enough to reach that potential without using performance-enhancing drugs. Are there any supplements that are natural that can help you with your strength besides creatine? Now, I mean, there's all kind of vitamins and minerals and shit out there that if you go on the interwebs, you could end up spending about two or $300 on things that are proven to increase your strength and VO2 max and cardiovascular output and all of those things. Um, but I will say buyer beware of these things called like pro hormones. They're like, so as I described that these testosterone and all these things are hormones that bind to receptors. Um, there's pro hormones, which are like, pre-hormone derivatives that you take and then your body releases and it turns them into hormones, something like that. Um, those can be super dangerous because the pathomechanics of those are widely not understood and also very unregulated. So especially for a female, I do not advise taking those. Um, and again, those supplements are not approved by the FDA. So I don't really know. I just think train hard, eat right, sleep a lot, and you'll get strong without taking drugs. And get on a fucking program. Elite lifters, are there any that aren't on juice? Like I said, yes. I do feel that there is a portion of the pie that are strong as fuck or bodybuilders that are natural that have incredible genetics along with a more incredible work ethic and determination. And they've taken and followed all of the steps as far as their diet, their training, their recovery, their coaching, all of that, and put themselves into peak condition, whether it's for, you know, some kind of athletics, powerlifting or bodybuilding. Do I feel like at an elite level, do I feel like there's any pro Unless they're in a natural affiliation, are there any NPCC, IFBB pros that are natty? Fuck no. Show me one and I'll give you $1,000. Um, at the elite level in powerlifting, yeah, I do believe there's some, but they are far, far in the minority. And that's okay. Um, will steroids, if my boyfriend's on steroids, will it affect my period? 
So this person, I think, was a little like, this is a dumb question. Maybe I'm embarrassed about it. But don't be, because when I first started dating, dating Steven, we looked this up too. I was like, am I getting unintentional testosterone injections from us having sex? No, <laughs> it cannot be transmitted in that way. So you are safe and it will not affect your female hormones if you are a natural person or unnatural, whatever. It does not get um, passed from person to person in that way. So that is it. I believe that I'll, I hopefully will get some responses to this podcast and maybe we'll do a part two in the future. There's so many rabbit holes of steroids that you can jump down and I hope I wasn't too all over the place in describing what I wanted to talk about today. And Hopefully you guys learned a little bit. Uh, maybe this will open some more discussions or you'll be interested to learn more or you just can laugh at what I have told you today. But I do want to say a huge fucking thank you to all of you guys. So my first podcast, I was expecting maybe, maybe like 50 people to listen total and like 10 of them, including my close friends and family and maybe like another six downloading it myself. But I got almost 200 listeners. Like, holy fucking shit, 200 of you guys listen to me talk for 34 minutes? Oh my God, that's fucking cool. So thank you so much. And, you know, we got our first sponsor, you guys. South Bay Strength Company, the gym that I own. So technically I'm paying for myself to do this. That's right. But I do want to say a little side note about our gym. There's a huge misconception. I don't know if, if you guys train in our gym, if you've seen my gym or you've gone on our Instagram that you have to be strong to train at South Bay, which I feel like this ties into my steroid podcast. No, you don't. Like, um, we've talked to some people and they're like, yeah, I'll totally go to your gym when I am strong. It's like, no, you train at a gym like South Bay Strength Company to get strong. I'm sorry if you're training at LA Shitness or Planet Fuck Off or whatever the fuck shitty ass commercial gym you're at and you're a power lifter, there's going to be a point where your performance is limited because you're using cheap ass Chinese equipment um, that's not standardized height that you may not be able to use chalk. You may not be able to be loud and aggressive. And the environment speaks volumes. Uh, when you're going to hit a PR, if it's a fucking stale ass quiet commercial gym and you just hear the Tampax commercial playing over the speakers rather than 10 people screaming at your fucking face, you better fucking get this lift, you pussy. Um, whether you're lifting 135 pounds or 580 pounds, it's going to make a difference. So in general, going to a powerlifting gym, there's a huge you know, preconceived notion that you have to know what you're doing or you have to be strong to get there. But powerlifters are some of the most accepting and open you know, community of individuals that I've ever encountered. Anytime you go to a powerlifting gym, if you don't know what the fuck you're doing, there'll be 10 people at your side to help you. When you go to a commercial gym, people just look at you, A, like you're a fucking piece of meat and they want to fuck you. So sorry, chicks, I know it's uncomfortable, but that's what you get when you go to those places. And B, it's like dudes sizing each other up, like whose fucking dick is bigger and how many bicep curls can I do to impress this chick that doesn't really give a fuck about you, she just wants you to leave her alone. It's it's a big difference in mentality and environment and just try it. Go to your local powerlifting gym. If you are serious about lifting weights in any shape or form and like just see the community that is there supporting you and that is behind you. And that's my PSA about South Bay Strength because it really frustrates me when people think you have to be strong to train at a gym like that when really 
a gym like that is what fosters your ability to truly enhance your strength. So thank you all for tuning in to this podcast. Please give me feedback, message me, post and share if you're listening to this. And I love you all.